World of Work podcast with James and Jane. Hi, this is James. I wanted to let you know that as well as these podcasts, we deliver at least one free online seminar every month that you're welcome to attend wherever you are in the world. You can learn more about them and register for them via our website, www.worldofwork.io. That's www.worldofwork.io. Hello, this is James. And this is Jane. And here we are once again with another episode of a World of Work project. What are we speaking about today, Jane? Well, today we are talking to Kieran Kachela from CI Projects. And we're going to be talking about the topic of continuous improvement and also the related tools of Lean and Six Sigma. Yeah, it's a great, great subject to be aware of and some really, really practical advice in here about how we can improve the performance of our teams. So let us jump into that conversation. Okay, so here we are in this week's episode of the World Work Podcast, and we've got a really exciting topic and a really exciting guest today. Today, we're going to be exploring how we improve processes and improve ways of working and look to continuously improve within our teams and organizations. And to do that, we're going to be speaking to Kieran Kachela from uh, CI Projects here in the UK, and we're going to be exploring her background in Lean and the work that she does in her organization. Um, Before we get into that, though, Karen, would you be able to introduce yourself and say a little bit about yourself and your background and what you're working on to the audience? Yes, of course. And thank you for having me. I'm really uh, looking forward to today's conversation. Um, So I'm the founder and director of a small consultancy called Continuous Improvement Projects. And we do exactly what we say on the tin. So uh, we help organizations continually improve. We work with organizations to help them Uh, you know, enhance customer experience, drive organizational change, achieve efficiencies and improved profitability. And we do that using Lean Six Sigma principles, which is a proven and evidence-based business improvement methodology and philosophy. Um, I think, to be honest, I've, I've always been really fascinated by efficient processes and always have been the type of person that's eager to find better ways of doing things. Um, you know, when I was younger, I worked in McDonald's part time uh, whilst back at school. And there I got to see just in time processes in action um, consistency of quality. You know, doesn't matter which McDonald's you go to, you see the same fries, the same hamburgers. Um, I got to see Kanban systems in action and visual management. And I think there was just that real consciousness of waste and an active effort to reduce it. So. Whilst that was just a weekend job, um, it was, you know, that gave me a bit of pocket money. It was a great place to learn and a really good footing for my career Um, because at that time I didn't know what lean was and I didn't realise that that was lean in action. But later on in my career, I fell into business improvement, um, had an absolute passion for lean and Six Sigma. And, uh, yeah, it's just... It's one of those roles that's completely in tune with me and who I am. I became the head of business improvement for a large private sector company and later decided to take the leap and set up my own consultancy. So I now work in organisations across an array of industries. Um, I work in higher education, local and central government, healthcare, science um, and a few more. So, yeah, really, really enjoyed working across different industries and learning from them, because I think they've got a lot to learn from each other. Cool, thanks. That's a really interesting way to frame the background. And, and I love a reference to McDonald's. Um, I watched the film The Founder a while ago, all about Ray Kroc and his experience and his background and, and a lot of a setup around McDonald's and watching that process optimization and efficiency and improvement. And that was, was interesting. And it, it was 
motivating and it was quite balletic the way they actually did it. Um, when we look at a lot of the organizations that exist out there, a lot of organizations kind of think they're efficient or start efficient. What is it about organizations that, that means that maybe some of those efficiencies that we have in place disappear? And, and, and why do we need to, to look to continually improve and find new ways of doing things? Yeah, I think, you know, we've, we've all experienced those processes that are filled with bottlenecks and complexities, those that cost us time and cost us money. And process improvement provides an opportunity to remove all those wasteful activities that get in the way of the day-to-day, those that slow us down or build up unnecessary inventory. So I think there's got to be that consciousness um, all the time that there's a better way of doing things. And the goal of process improvement is to actually find it. So I think sometimes um, there's an expectation that perhaps processes will just improve. And unfortunately, they don't. You know, uh, you have to actively... Um, go and take time to look and review your processes and um, drive improvements. You simply cannot expect a process to improve itself. So um, I think, you know, that whole activity of questioning, why are we doing things uh, this way? Um, You know, why, why have we always done it this way? All of those important questions of why, that's why, that's what process is, uh, process improvement is all about. It's an opportunity to stop, reflect, and actually ask ourselves those questions so that ultimately we can continually streamline what we're doing. Um, so, I mean, I think it's we, we've got to remember with process improvement, it's all about being a method to achieve goals. So every business, uh, you know, regardless of what business it is, it's how we operate. And that's why businesses really need to focus on process improvements, because it's how we interface with other people. It's how we deliver service. It's how we deliver products. So there are so many uh, benefits that come from undertaking process reviews and, and redesigns. You know, they offer a single version of the truth. They provide visibility of that full landscape, end-to-end flow of a service or a product so that everybody understands their role within it. And it gives you that helicopter view, you know, that bigger picture to help break down silos and looks at, of of course, giving you opportunities to streamline and um, look at cost savings and efficiencies and enhance customer experience. So ultimately giving the customer what they want faster and better. I mean, I think a lot of organisations tend to get quite complacent. Uh, we all do, I think. We we get complacent in our ways of doing things. And I think it's important for organisations to realise that processes are the key to unlocking their goals. Based on a lot of my sort of background and experience, when I've been in larger organisations, one of the things I've seen is effectively um, delivery creep across particularly sort of more BAU operational functions where something pops up as a, an ad hoc task or, or you know, a short-term request and then it gets embedded into a process and then you get differentiation within processes amongst similar teams and you get you know, a desire to centralise in one place, to decentralise in another. And that mm-hmm. sort of perpetual change that exists within organisations, particularly large organisations, that perpetual sort of micro-change means you get all these divergence and, and inefficiencies and, and sort of grist in the processes that, that then benefit from having that more analytical eye and that, that sort of um, end-to-end view, as you say, around these processes to, to look to get efficiencies in them and improvements. Um, when, when you look at doing things like process improvement and, and, you know, if you go into an organization and look to do that, what types of tools do you bring? What are the sort of methods and, and what types of 
processes do you use to improve uh, the processes of organizations? Yeah, so, I mean, I use uh, Lean Six Sigma as the fundamental framework. And as I said earlier, it's it's more than just a methodology. It's a philosophy as well. It's a philosophy of continuous improvement. So um, what you just described there, James, absolutely, it's an evolutional evolutional process you have to keep on reviewing processes it's it's a continuous improvement cycle and that's where lean six sigma becomes really powerful um i think in terms of the types of processes it's really important to understand your intentions and your audience before you start process improvement who is that process actually for Uh, what will it be used for how will you communicate it once you understand the importance and, and the answers to those questions Um, you can really begin to decide which process style is best for you. So some of the process styles I use, as as an example, um, I use the standard swim lane process maps if I'm looking to, if my intention is to make roles and responsibilities clearer, um, make that really visible, who is responsible for what. If if the intention is to provide a high-level quick reference process guide uh, to help make decisions, then maybe just that basic flowchart will do the job. Um, If the intention is to communicate scope of a process at very high level, something that maybe you can share with the execs uh, to sort of describe what the bigger picture looks like, then there's a tool in the Lean Six Sigma toolkit called a SIPOC map. Uh, which stands for suppliers, inputs, processes, outputs, and customer. So that's a really good high-level process tool to give that bigger picture. And then there's a really powerful advanced form of process mapping within the Lean Toolkit called Value Stream Mapping. This is where the exciting stuff happens for me. This is where the magic happens. In traditional process improvement, You look at identifying local inefficiencies in particular processes and look to resolve them. The improvements, when you do that sort of method, they tend to be um, for that individual process, but they actually have little impact on the overall value stream. So a value stream map looks at the entire value stream, starting and ending with the customer. So at the heart of Lean is the customer. That's what the Lean philosophy is all about, the, the absolute fundamental core of it is all about the customer and the value stream map operates in that same fashion it focuses on the customer and it enables you to determine what the customer deems as value and it helps you categorize each process activity into fundamentally three value measures so those are value adding the activities that really add value to your customer the things that your customer really cares about the non-value adding activities. So the things that your customer's not paying for, the things that your customer couldn't care less about. And then there's the necessary non-value adding. So the things that you might have to do in order to deliver the value adding activity, um, but it's still not the thing that the customer really cares about. Once you can start to identify those, that's when you can really start to eliminate some significant waste. So those tend to be some of the process uh, improvement methods and tools that I use. But, you know, the thing with process mapping is whilst there are some best practice guidelines, I feel there are no hard and fast rules. You can be really flexible with how you display your processes. You shouldn't be afraid to experiment. I like to see process maps as a piece of art. It should tell a story, the story of 
how things are done around here. You want, you want to be able to tell the story to your audience using a picture in a way that they understand it, a bit like, I guess you could say, a bit like a kid's picture book, for example. So I get quite creative with my process maps. I overlay heat maps. I add symbols. Um, I overlay waste. I, I note on there and annotate what waste is on there. So, yeah, it's whatever you feel right to tell that story visually. I, I like that answer. We're very much of a view in the work that we do that there isn't a one-size-fits-all solution for most things. And, and and it seems like, yeah, it seems like that comes through fairly clearly in what you're doing. Um, your your point about some of the looking within specific processes to improve them um, it reflects an experience that I've had in, in large organizations as well, where, you know, we have different functional teams improving their own processes, but ultimately that didn't in the long term lead to benefit for the organization. Uh, and you know, my background's financial services. So we, we too moved to that end-to-end process transformation type of work. And, and the view was that it would lead to better customer output. So it's great to have seen some of that stuff in action. If, if we're thinking about sort of moving forward from that and, and we're working on these uh, process improvements and we've done some analysis and we want to improve processes, who should be involved in those conversations? Who are the best people to help identify some of these uh, areas of waste or opportunities to improve or ways to simplify and serve a customer better? Yeah, really good uh, question. And and I've seen it done really well. And then I've seen where it's not been done very well. So I think fundamentally, you need everybody involved in process improvement. Um, There's no point sitting in a darkened room as a consultant or a process improvement specialist mapping processes as a desktop exercise, um, you know, behind closed doors. I think you need to involve everybody or at least at least key representatives from each area to really maximize um, the outputs of your process. I think um, that the best way to describe actually who should be involved in this process is probably for me to talk to you a bit more about Kaizen. Um, Kai, you may have heard the word Kaizen before. It's, it's a Japanese term meaning change for better or continuous improvement. It's a business philosophy and a mindset that uh, originated in Japan. Now, I think all too often, organizations put the entire burden of driving improvement initiatives on a team of specialists in the center. This might be a team of consultants um, that have been bought in, or it might be internal business change and improvement specialists. But whilst it does make sense to call upon expertise to support process improvement um, and perhaps facilitation because they have those skills, The Kaizen philosophy really promotes small improvements being initiated and owned by employees as part of their daily routine. So it encourages employees at all levels of an organization to really challenge what they're doing, to ask themselves why every time and to find better ways of doing things. This really allows for that quick response to the environment. You know, they're they're in that space working there day in, day out, they understand what's happening and, and they can quickly respond to that if they're in that mindset of continuous improvement. And, and the good thing about the Kaizen philosophy and that approach to making improvements as part of your day job, in essence, is that it doesn't need too much planning and it doesn't need large capital investment. So as a practice, it's a bottom up approach for incremental improvements. That being said, though, um, it is really well complemented 
by a top-down approach of making radical changes. So, you know, if you're introducing a new system or you're doing a complete redesign or restructure of an organization and that involves changing processes, then quite often that results in a radical, complex, business-wide change. And it's very likely that you are going to need that team of specialists um, and actually particularly consultants who will bring an outside view and bring a different perspective. And you're going to need leaders who act as strong sponsors for the change. So I think, I guess the, the overarching view on this is process improvement should involve everybody and you should use the expertise of the specialists. Um, you, you need sponsorship from the leaders, but actually if you really want to get that continuous improvement mindset, you need to involve the employees and give them autonomy and empowerment to make changes themselves as well. So I'm really interested in what you say there. And I'd love to know a little bit more about your experiences of dealing with resistance when uh, you're adopt- when organizations begin to adopt that bottom-up approach, particularly like early on. And uh, maybe learn a little bit about whether you've experienced that resistance and how you advise organizations to approach it. Yeah, absolutely. I think you've always got to anticipate resistance when introducing any form of change. Uh, People feel uncomfortable with change. It's not something that people find easy to adapt to straight away. So I think firstly, going in with that understanding that you are going to come across uh, resistance um, and doing a bit of planning on that, actually. I I tend to like to plan um, to say, well, what resistance do I anticipate and who from and why? Because actually by doing that, you can start to develop tactics uh, that can be applied to really manage that resistance rather than going in expecting everybody to adopt the change and utilise the change immediately. So I think um, anticipating resistance. I think the other aspect is... um, that you have to you have to equip people with the right tools and when I say tools I'm not just talking um sort of mechanistic technical tools I'm I'm talking about actually the training uh the mentoring around that you know even even training people in say methods like Lean Six Sigma so that they actually understand the principles of continuous improvement and um, are able to make improvements themselves rather than just saying, I want you to go and review your processes and make improvements. Actually give them the training they need to support that. So I think um, it's a combination of giving them what they need so that they are capable of delivering the change uh, themselves and empowered to make the change giving them the support they need at a leadership level um, and, and even peer-to-peer mentoring and support, and then understanding how they might perceive the change and having ways to address that. And that takes planning. Yeah, and that, that makes total sense. And And I guess that kind of leads me on to the opposite question, which is when you see organisations adopt this, and when you see teams run with it and like do really well and they really do start taking ownership of small, you know, adopting that philosophy of small incremental changes that they can make themselves. Do you, does it ever, I guess I'm asking, does it ever take the sort of leaders of the organization a little bit by surprise and sort of scare them a little bit by how much can be done when you drive um, from the sort of from the people who are directly doing the work? 
Yeah, I've I've probably seen both angles of this. I've I've seen organisations where you've you've got the leaders that embrace that pace of change, um, and they're almost they're working at that pace themselves. And actually, they embrace it, they support it, they advocate it. Um, and then I've seen the opposite. I've seen leaders in in certain circumstances that absolutely do get scared of the fact that people are running ahead with making changes and quite often they're in spaces themselves where they're suffering from change saturation. You know, they've got too much on their plate. They've got so much change underway. And then they've got people, I guess, on the shop floor that are running with making changes as well. And and that can be quite overwhelming. So there's actually an, an argument here to say that you need to understand the pace of change that you want to achieve and the strategy you take to drive process improvement and um you know define what your strategic priorities are and what changes you want to achieve in the year you you need to almost create that pace you need to set that pace and and you need to make that clear in your strategy so you've just um you've just used a phrase which I really want to explore because I had it as a note to ask you later on but seeing as you've mentioned it um change saturation or this idea that sometimes if you don't pace your change or structure it or plan it correctly, it can all feel too much. Um, I guess um, as someone who's very experienced in this, what's what's the secret, do you think, to keeping a really good eye on that and adjusting and adapting? Is there is it a part of the, the processes that you use or is it something you train people to do or is it something you as consultants just keep an eye on? Because I can imagine mm. that that idea of change saturation could suddenly feel very overwhelming for for any number of people involved in that continuous improvement. If, if a continuous improvement sounds so great, but it also sounds a little bit relentless sometimes. So I would imagine that if you're not careful, it could feel a little bit overwhelming. I, I totally agree. Um, I would say in this case, I'm actually working with an organisation on just this at the moment. So uh, if I actually share a bit of an example on this, it might help. Um, So one of the organisations I'm working with at the moment, one of the starting points for this was actually to stop and address what we're doing right now. So what change do we have underway in the business? And this isn't just the projects that might be underway that have got significant amount of investment, but actually some of those pockets of changes that are happening in the organisation that people might be running ahead with. So I think Understanding, firstly, if you're in a situation where there is just so much change and people are suffering change saturation, then stopping and actually understanding that baseline, almost that data gathering exercise of what projects are and what changes are currently underway. What should we stop? What should we start? What should we continue? Um, but then this all has to, has to start from the top. So at the moment, the organisation I'm working with, we're, we're going through an exercise of redefining, um, refreshing the organisational strategy. So understanding the vision, the mission, you know, the, the objectives and the strategy. And then really understanding, well, these projects, how do they help us achieve what we're, you know, what we're setting out to achieve this year and next year and then the next five years? And once... Once you're, it's almost like your strategy should set the pace. So if you know what you're setting out to achieve, that should enable you to make the decision around how much change you actually need to achieve that. Um, 
and how quickly you need to do that. And that this all comes back to smart objectives, you know, making sure that you've got realistic objectives, making sure that they're all time bound. So you know exactly when, you know, you've got a clear vision of when you want to achieve something by. So I would say really nailing that at the top is, is key because quite often it's just a paper or an academic exercise. It's a piece of paper that might have a strategy written down that might go in glossy brochures, you know, sharing with clients. But actually it has to be ingrained in the organization. One of my favorite um, examples is uh, when John F. Kennedy, many years ago, John F. Kennedy went to the NASA Space Center um, and bumped into a janitor there and asked the janitor what his job was. And the janitor said, I'm here to put a man on the moon. And, and that speaks volumes because actually everybody in the organization understands what that company's mission and vision is and the part they play in it. So I think starting at the top, understanding what you're setting out to achieve and by when, and then looking at your change and setting that pace and making sure you're not doing too much at once. Um, but I would say continuous improvement shouldn't make anybody feel overwhelmed because actually we have to continually improve. Nothing stands still. You know, we're in an environment that's changing on a daily basis. Nothing stands still. Um, so how can you not review and evolve your processes? How can you not review and evolve um, your structures? We, we all have to be agile and flexible. And I think that's, that's fundamentally what continuous improvement about, is about. It's not about radical change. It's about continually reviewing where you are and what you could be doing better. That, um, that point about this being part of all of our jobs, I, I think, is, is really important. And I think in that fluid world that we live in, like you said, we need to be agile and responsive and, and sort of predictive as well. But we do need to change to, to respond to the ever-changing world around us. Um, I, I've got a reflection on that, and then I've got a question I'd like to, to ask you. The reflection I've got is where I've seen some challenges with this is where maybe leaders um, at, a, at a higher level look to introduce a program of process improvement, but they don't make space for it. And when I've seen that happen, I, I see sort of um, higher levels of resistance and resentment to it. You know, if, if people are already working, you know, significant excess hours and then are asked to improve things in, in that same bundle of time, I've, I've seen some challenge there. And, and I'd assume you've seen stuff like that um, as well. Um, Many times, yeah. And, and that's a challenge. And that sort of breaks the contract between the leaders and the teams. And, and that, that I think, is a, a dangerous road to go down and uh, undermines the, the likelihood of success of these types of programs. Um, the, the question I had for you, though, was it, it's something a little bit different. So when we speak about things like process improvement, and, and you, you, at the beginning, quite articulately talked about things like non-value add uh, activities and waste and things that we want to stop. One of the things that, that we see working sometimes more on the people side of things is an emotional connection between people and their tasks so people feel valued to some extent by the very fact that they are busy they feel important through the breadth of their accountabilities and all those types of things do you ever see people who are resistant to stopping things for reasons that you don't understand I mean how does that do, do people hold on to tasks how do you see that play out absolutely I, I see that all the time um and I think it's about having those conversations about why do you think this is a very important activity? Why, you know, why wh why do you feel nervous about removing this activity? Why do you feel nervous about changing this activity? 
we need to get to the bottom of the why. Um, but yeah, people, people become very attached to the way they do things. And, you know, whether that's because they feel uneasy about maybe, you know, becoming redundant, you know, that that's not actually what lean is about. Lean isn't about making your organization skinny and, um, you know, reducing lots of, uh, heads by, streamlining your processes it's about making sure that the people you have in the organization are all engaged in value-adding activities so I think um, sometimes there's nervousness from people that oh well if you take these things away from me am I still going to be needed Um, and it's about getting them to realize that that's not what this you know this is about that's not what process improvement continuous improvement lean that's not what those those things are about it's about making sure that that person is involved in purposeful value adding activity so um yeah I've seen it many times I think it takes conversations you know you need to get to the bottom of what what that means for that individual um but ultimately it has to change so one of the things I love about lean and coming back to one of the methods I talked about earlier around value stream mapping, one of the things I love about it is, is that customer focus. And if you understand the customer demand and the customer requirements and work backwards, you tend to get a much more um, productive output. You tend to get more value adding activity. Whereas if you focus on the input, so if you're more focused on these are the activities I've got to do, or this is how many people I have to do the job. So this is what our outputs are. That's where it's wrong. I think you need to understand the customer demand and then put the right level of investment in, whether that's time, effort, money, whatever that looks like, put the right amount of investment in to achieve what your customer needs. And and I think that's a mindset that needs to change in everybody. It's not about your inputs. It's about your outputs. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that's um, that's very helpful. Um, if you think about the work that you do and the work that others that uh, are in your organization or other perhaps you know black belt practitioners or similar, what do you think the most important skills are for people involved in in your type of work? What are the skills that really help you succeed in in what you're doing? I think first and foremost, it's uh, being able to build relationships with people. Uh, that's fundamental isn't it there's no point having a rich toolkit in the lean six sigma framework that you can use and you know pull out all the tools to create things there's just no point unless you have an ability to build relationships with people to help influence people in a positive way but also to listen you you need to be an active listener you need to be able to be a good observer you need to be able to see what's going on around you you need to be able to hear what's going around you And you need a good level of emotional intelligence because in order to make change happen, you need to understand how people are perceiving things, how people are responding um, and adapt. So all of those softer elements tend to be more important, I'd say, than some of the analytical skills. Um, You know, Lean Six Sigma is full of analysis, full of data, full of statistical data you know it's quite heavy on that stuff but actually none of that matters unless you have some of those softer skills around people and leadership 
Yeah. I guess ultimately the majority of organizations are anchored in the people that work within them. And if you're going to affect change, you need to connect with the people that are, are working in them. So that's... um. That's good to hear. Um, we're going to go on in a minute, and I think Jane's going to ask uh, some questions about you know practicality and, and how uh, leaders or team uh, managers could could bring some of these skills to life in their teams. Before we do that, though, could you say a little bit more about what the actual background of Lean is? You've talked about Lean a lot. Um, I just thought it might be nice for the listeners to get a little sense of what Lean is and where it comes from, or Six Sigma for that matter. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I think... Um... In simple terms, lean is a philosophy and a methodology, as I said earlier, that it seeks to maximize value for its customers whilst minimizing wasteful activities. So ultimately delivering more for less. And it achieves this by defining value from the customer's viewpoint rather than our internal viewpoints. Six Sigma, on the other hand, so that's, again, in very simple terms, I won't go into the statistics of it, but in simple terms, it's a set of data-driven tools and techniques for process improvement. And the Six Sigma method seeks to improve the quality of your outputs of a process by identifying and removing any causes of defects, which in Six Sigma terms is errors, um, or variation. So, In more recent times, Lean and Six Sigma have come together to form a really powerful combination. But the actual history of Lean Six Sigma is really rich and diverse and involves luminaries such as Henry Ford, um, Taichi Ono, Kichiro Toyoda, who formed, was the founder of Toyota, uh, Thomas Edison. All of these um, great people were eager to find better ways of doing things and doing things the right way. And I think that's a really key point, doing things the right way. So it's not just about let's go and cut costs. Um, that that wasn't what it was. It was all about quality and making sure that whatever solution they were coming up with was sustainable for the future, making sure that it was customer focused, um, making sure that the people that they were working within, that that they were working with in their own organisations were given the utmost respect and autonomy, as I mentioned earlier. Um, And actually, interestingly, they really cared for their communities and the environments in which they operated in. So I think they, they helped develop the Lean Six Sigma toolkit that we use today, um, and it's evolved over time. A lot of those concepts actually um, originated just after um, World War Two, when um, Japan was in a space where they had to try and rebuild, and they didn't have enough money to invest in large scale improvements. So they had to promote this whole ethos of continuous, gradual improvements. So that's, in a, in a nutshell, what Lean Six Sigma is and, and where it came from. In all of that, there's something really lovely about, I think, sometimes big complex processes used by big companies can be a bit scary and when you said it's just about finding better ways to do things really that's that I that's a lovely way of thinking about something that that could could feel quite complex to an audience that don't know about it before which I wanted to ask you about um obviously you work with some lots of different great organizations but we also have a lot of listeners who are in really quite small organizations sometimes even micro 
And uh, they're always keen to find better ways to do things. So I was just wondering what your advice would be to them if they're listening and thinking, I really want to learn more about this. I want to explore whether, you know, there's things I could learn or adapt or adopt for my teams. Um, Where would you start if you were brand new to all of this stuff? Yeah, good question. Um, As a small business myself, I'm in that realm. I mean, yes, I understand Lean Six Sigma and I've been practicing it for many years, but actually running a small business is, is not easy um it's quite daunting it's new you know I've 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 set up in 2012 but I still am learning every day uh which is exciting but also daunting and takes a lot of resilience and um so I think a good place to start I think there are some fantastic books out there that tell the journey of the toy you know Toyota as as an example and many other organizations that have really embraced Lean Six Sigma um, and sort of gone from good to better constantly. Um, and I think actually the training, uh, going on a Lean Six Sigma training course, providing it's one that isn't just theoretical, you know, the training that my team deliver is very much focused on applying real life examples during the training. And I think that really helps because. Lean Six Sigma is is fundamentally founded on the principle of learn by doing. So it's much more than sitting in front of a, you know, a PowerPoint slides deck with information about what Lean Six Sigma is. It's about applying. So reading some books, perhaps going on a training course um, and just trying some of the tools. The best thing um, about the methodology actually is that the toolkit is flexible. So unlike some of the um, other methodologies out there, things like Prince2 and, and so on, that are much more um, structured and, and not as flexible, with Lean Six Sigma, it's so flexible. It's about picking and choosing what you think you need for your organization or what you need to solve your problem. So I would say get creative. I would say, don't be afraid to try things. And actually, you learn by doing. You know, there are there are tools that I use that I've been using for the past 14 years that actually every time I use them, I develop more or I get better at using them. I, I find them more useful over time. So the learn by doing is really key with, with this. You might not uh, know our audience very well but we know them quite well and they love anything where they get to explore and think about stuff and and just try stuff out I think so much of what we learn in the workplace because of the contextual basis of things is is really important um I I just wanted to ask you one last question for me which I've been thinking about uh while we've been talking and it's a slightly different question from what we talked about earlier and I'd just love to know you you obviously were really clear at the beginning about why you've gone into this world right and why it fits with you and I guess my question would be, if you, we, we had someone listening who wanted to move into your world of, you know, working to help other businesses improve through continuous improvement, where should they start? What's, what's, the, what's the best way of learning a bit more about how to make this a bigger part of your career or make a career switch to something like this? Yeah, um, I might actually just share a little bit about my, my journey there, just because that might help. It's one of those roles that you never hear about back at school. You know, you you hear about being a a doctor or a police or, you know, 
ambulance driver or you hear about all those different roles, but you never actually hear about the role of you could become a project manager or a business improvement specialist or those aren't roles you ever hear about back at school. Um, And actually, my journey started as a help desk operator. I was a um, I was taking calls about broken ceiling tiles, about blocked toilets. And I was always looking to find better ways of doing things in that role. I was always really driven by giving excellent customer service. I was always driven by wanting to have brilliant performance. I was always driven by having a team that was working productively. Um, And actually, people around me noticed that. And that's really how I fell into business improvement, because they noticed I had this flair for finding better ways of doing things and solving problems. And I naturally fell into the role then of business improvement. I was given a project to work on and, you know, one project led to another project. And by the end of it, I was the head of business improvement and leading really large complex changes. So I think it's quite a difficult role to just say, right, I'm going to take on that profession because you can go and get the qualifications. Um, but qualifications don't mean anything unless you are learning by doing and you're applying those theories. So the best way in which to do it is actually to do it in your day job, to be that person in your day job that's, you know, going the extra mile and going over and above to find better ways of doing things. And then to use that foundation to then move into the role. I think that's, that's probably, it's my journey. And I, you know, if I was to think about was is there another way I could have fallen into this role? I'm not sure it's uh, an easy path to go through because it's more than just qualifications. I think it's qualifications and experience. I know a few people have worked in that space and, and very much like you, a lot of their experiences started with side of a desk projects or however you want to describe that, self-driven, um, self-led work to improve things around them and, and with that, the growth of skills. Um, I'm afraid we are pretty much out of time. We've had uh, quite a long chat, which is excellent and learned some really great things. So just before we go, I'd like to ask, is there any way that people can find out more about you and what you do or get in touch? Yes. um, So you can follow me on LinkedIn. It's Kieran Kachela and my company, which is Continuous Improvement Projects Limited. Um, And do visit visit our uh, website, which is www.ciprojectsltd.co.uk. Brilliant. Thank you very much. So um, that's the end of the show. So thank you very much for me. Thank you. That was really great. I really enjoyed the conversation. Thanks so much for having me. You're very welcome. Okay, so this is James and Jane back again. And that was our conversation with Kieran, all about continuous improvement and lean and Six Sigma and the various different other ways that uh, professionals look to improve the performance and, and the optimization of processes within organizations. Um, Jane, big sweeping conversation there, covered a lot of different things. Was there anything that you'd like to reflect on? Oh, James, so much in that conversation. I really like talking about this stuff, which might surprise people, because uh, at, at first glance, it seems like it's a long way away from some of the more people-centered and human-centered stuff we cover. But um, one of the things that I really like about the conversation that we've just had with Kieran is this um, this idea that... Uh, really good continuous improvement, particularly around things like processes, is driven by the people um, doing the processes. So I think Kieran referred to it as bottom-up. And I don't know if I'd I'd necessarily use that phrase, 
But the idea that continuous improvement is best driven by the people who are going to be using the tools. And I think uh, for me, change and uh, some of the stuff associated with change can sometimes be a little bit scary for people and can also be sometimes, I think, used and weaponized a little bit as a tool with which to make people change. And I think the way Kieran talked about it was very different from that and very much about leaders challenging themselves to give their teams the tools they need to drive the continuous improvement. And so I really liked that part of the conversation. Yeah, it's an excellent framing and a really helpful way to think about sort of the purposes and the motivations and the ways to to bring these improvements into organizations. Um, the thing that I want to reflect on is not too dissimilar, and it actually comes back to when I asked Kieran what the skills were that were required to do this type of work well, to do this type of process of improvement work well. And what Kieran called out was actually that a lot of the, the real necessary skills are the human skills, so the communication, the engagement, the empathy, the understanding, and all of those things. And it feels now that we're very much in a place where we acknowledge that while it is necessary to have the technical skills and the analytical skills to do the um, you know the analysis and and the you know decision making around what to change, while it's necessary, it's not sufficient. We also need to supplement those more technical skills with the more human focused skills to enable us to lead these changes well and to to really succeed with these types of changes. And I think that harmony between those technical and, and human skills is really important and something that we see in a lot of roles. So it's just great to see it recognized and called out in this space as well yeah I think I think you make a really important point there and I think one of the challenges of listening to someone like Kieran is it clearly comes relatively naturally to her to be people-centered in her approach of quite technical tools and I think the challenge then comes and it's one of the reasons I asked her about how to how she got into it and how other people get into it is you need to find both of those things in someone to be able to do this well right and that is that's a tall order yeah yeah it sure is but luckily, we've got people like Kieran out there doing it. So I think we're in a pretty good place. Okay, well, let us wrap up the conversation there and just say goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from me. Hi, it's Jane. I just want to say thanks for listening to the whole episode. If you enjoyed it, if you have a question, or if you just want to say hi, you can find us on Twitter at worldofwork underscore IO. Don't forget, you can also find out more about what we do, including our online seminars, workshops, and development programs on www.worldofwork.io. 